Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast. I am Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, we have a game to talk about this weekend, a little game. I don't know if you heard that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming to town on Sunday night. I, I, I don't know if are you, you saying, heard. Are you saying we can't do an hour on Eastern Washington, Montana State? Because that's going to be a great freaking football game Saturday night. Alex has been on this Eastern Washington, Montana State bandwagon. Really the good game. Week. Also, also Alabama Ole Miss. I'll be a decent game too. Okay. All right. Well, I actually... I don't know if we're going to do this today. I, I wasn't planning on it. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. But I read a great article in ESPN last night about Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin and why Nick Saban brought Lane Kiffin to Alabama in 2014. Just talking about the Alabama innovation on offense, right? The move away from the old school under center ground and pound system that they were running to more of a spread attack down the field type of offense. And I I thought it was really telling that a coach, and this kind of segues us into what I was going to talk about uh, to start the show here, a a coach like Nick Saban recognizing that his offense was outdated, right? And and looking at it and saying, we're not going to win national championships at the level that we want to win them at if we still run this run heavy under center old school playbook and we need to take that playbook and innovate and update it to the times and and Saban in the article also mentioned that maybe the difference at Alabama slightly is they had all this talent on the offensive side of the football right guys that eventually became first round picks quarterbacks that became first round picks receivers that became first round picks and they were still handing the ball off 40 times a game and the Patriots aren't that in that category completely because it's a it's a different game up up here obviously in the NFL versus college but the point that I wanted to bring up off the top of the show and we're going to talk a lot about how Bill Belichick is going to game plan Tom Brady and everything like that as well But the point that I wanted to talk about off the top of the show is I am more concerned about the Patriots offense being able to score on the Bucs defense to keep pace with Tom Brady than I am necessarily concerned with Bill Belichick's ability to at least, I don't know what the word is, slow down, I guess, Brady, when the Bucs have the football. I don't anticipate Tampa Bay hanging a 50-burger on the Patriots on Sunday night. I really don't. I think Belichick's going to have something up up his sleeve that's creative enough and that they're able to slow them down just enough. The question that I have is, is Mac Jones and the Patriots offense 
going to be up for it, right? Are they going to be right. able to put up 30 points in this game on the Buccaneers defense like the Rams did last week to get, make this a game, to make this competitive? Because with that defensive front in Tampa Bay, with the way that the Patriots have been blocking up front and the way that this offense just looks in the early going, it feels like this could end up being a blowout and have it essentially be no fault of Belichick's, if you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. It's just they got to – yeah, I got you. So – You seem you're in midpoint, so I want you to continue. No, 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 that – that that I was opening it up to you at that point. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I – they got to be able to punch back. They have to be able to punch back. You know, we – you know, when, when Brady was here, we would see a number of blowouts where it was maybe close in the first half, and then Brady pulled away later in the game. I think if any – if this game's a blowout, it's the other way. It's the Bucs pulling ahead early because I think if the Patriots are keeping things competitive uh, in the first half of the game, what they need to do to keep this game close, it's just going to be tough for the Bucs to, to adjust away from. So I, this is like, this is such a big and going back to last year with Cam, right? What was the biggest problem with this offense? It was starting slow. They started games slow. They started drive slow. Even at times it felt like they started plays slow, like within the context of the play. Yeah. And they, and they've, that's not just Cam that's continued into this year uh, where they have, you know, one of the longest two go average two go distances in the league on third down. They can't start this game slow. They can't, they got to come out and I'm not saying they have to come out and hit like a 70 yard bomb to Nelson Aguilar on the first play. But was it two or three, the first two drives, or the first three drives last week were three and outs. Like they went three and out a couple times to yeah. start that game last week. That's not an option this week. If they do that, it's going to be 14, nothing, 21, nothing. And night's over. Yeah. And, and people that have listened to the podcast since we really started the season, right? I think all of them know that, You've been on the Josh McDaniel, weary of the Josh McDaniels uh, play calling and, and just offense in general for a while. And now I'm sort of going back to Brady. Yeah, I am. I am beginning to, to fall in the same category. And this to me is this is the test for McDaniels that I need to see him him come out with an A plus game plan. Right, because the Patriots offense can't afford to have another dud of a game plan on that side of the football. And they to me, what they have done so far with Mac Jones is continue to do what they did last year with Cam Newton, and that is force Mac Jones to adapt to their playbook. Right. And they're saying right. to Mac Jones, This is the Patriots system, learn it right? This is what we're going to run. This is what we're going to do. You need to go out there and you need to learn it. And to some degree, I, I understand where they're coming from. But to another degree, I, I think if you look at what other NFL teams are doing with young quarterbacks, for instance, the Bengals are the Bengals, right? And not no offense tracks. We, we're not trying to pick on you. But if you watch that game last night, between Cincinnati and Jacksonville, and look, I, I get it's Jacksonville, right? It's not it's not the Bucks. But when you watch that game, you see even Zach Taylor is catering his offense to Joe Burrow, right? right. That there's elements of that LSU offense that you're seeing in Cincinnati with Burrow and Chase to make that thing viable for Joe Burrow, right? A lot of empty sets, basically exclusively passing from the shotgun. There, there's a lot of things that he did in college that are now carrying over to the NFL, and when I watch what the Patriots do and I study what the Patriots are doing with Mac Jones, it looks like they're trying to turn Mac Jones into Tom Brady instead of trying to turn their offense into the Alabama offense. And I think that there needs to be a little bit of give and take there. It can't all be one or the other, but there certainly needs to be more innovation on McDaniels's end and the Patriots end to do things that Mac is comfortable doing. And I'm not just talking necessarily about snaps from the gun versus snaps from under center. Because if you look at uh, his numbers, he's definitely much better when he's in the gun, but it's not a, it's not a huge amount of pass attempts so far from under center. I think he's only attempted something like 14 or 15 passes from under center in the first three games of the year. So it's not, it's not an exuberant amount, 
right? But it goes beyond right. just passes, I would say, from under center. And it, it it goes into a lot of the schemes that they are running, the schemes that they aren't running. I would also throw out there things like RPOs and, and uh, other uh, motion calls and things of that nature that they love to do at Alabama. And right now it feels like the Patriots offense is failing to innovate with the college game. And and when you have a young first round quarterback, he's not going to be the same ilk as to what this league was 20 years ago, right? He has come up in a college style system that has moved away from pro style in a lot of ways at Alabama and now has become a spread pace and space type of almost like an air raid offense in a lot of ways and the way that they're running things at Bama. So it feels like there's not enough tinkering the playbook to fit Mac Jones. And this goes back to what Cam Newton said, or excuse me, Josh McDaniels said about Cam Newton last year, that it's learning this Patriots offense and this playbook and then adapting the playbook that already exists to the new players. And I'm sort of, I'm getting into the school of thought here, Alex, really quickly that, maybe they should just throw the whole thing out, honestly, right? Like maybe this is not, maybe this playbook is outdated and maybe it is time to to start from scratch in a lot of ways and build it back up, catering it around your first round quarterback. So a, a couple things there. First off, and, and I agree with the brunt of what you said, but I, I would throw these caveats in there. It's three games into the season with the rookie quarterback. We don't know. Maybe they're building to all of that. And maybe they're just, you know, taking it slowly with Mac. And maybe that's part of it. Another part of it could be, and this goes back to something we've talked about and how it's impacting them in a number of ways right now. When did they know Mac Jones was going to be the week one starter? Because maybe they would like to do that. But if they didn't if they didn't know they were making the switch if they didn't know cam was going to lose the job until that giants week well then there's no time to do everything you just described right you essentially ask them to invent a whole new offensive system which can take years you're asking them to do that in two weeks so we don't know that's kind of the big overarching that's going to be the overarching question to me throughout at least the first half of the season is you know when did they know they were going to make this change because again if they didn't know they were going to make it until cutdown, until like a couple days before cutdown day, as as much as what you're describing is a good point, there was just no time to realistically do that. Um, so I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's that it's early in the season. The thing to me with Josh McDaniels, and, and let me, as somebody who's been skeptical, you're new in this, right? As somebody who's been skeptical of Josh McDaniels for years, let me tell you how it works with Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels will have eight or nine, ten games where you're just like, what the hell is he doing? And in the past, Brady normally covered him. And Brady would make it work. As nonsense as it was, Brady would make it work. But, you know, he'd have like eight, nine, ten games like that. And then there's that one game. He'd have like two of these games a year, usually. One or two of these games a year. Where, yeah, you see why why he is thought of as the offensive mind he is. He pulls out a couple a year where you're like, all right, he nailed it. That's why he gets all the praise he does. So, you know, and it, it holds him off just long enough. And then it goes back to the nonsense and you start questioning and you start questioning. And he gives you that one game. Just when you think in the spirit of, of the Sopranos movie coming out today, just when you think you're out, he pulls you back in. This needs to be a pulls you back in game from Josh McDaniels because it's there. The blueprint is there, right? The, the box is good as their pass rushes. They're susceptible to the quick pass. They're very susceptible to tight ends. Second most catches allowed. 10th most yards allowed to opposing tight ends this year. If We saw it last week when they went into hurry up and they spread things out. And they, that quick hitter to, to Kendrick Bourne, arguably their best offensive player of the year. Like, that's what we spent the summer saying. This is what this offense needs to be. Right. We had Tim Jenkins it, yeah. on the show a few months ago. That's yeah. what this offense needs to be. Four or five wide, especially now without James White. And just quick passes over the middle. And ju- like, I know they hit Kendrick Bourne on the play I'm talking about. Get, get that ball on a slant or an under to Jonu Smith quickly and let him create after the catch. And I know we had a bad week last week, but if you're going to quit on him after one bad week after what you paid him, that's just poor asset management. They can't do that. They have to give him another chance. This is the week to do it. 
the pieces are all there. It's, you know, it's just, all right, put them together. And it just real quick here before you get into it, there's a really good point in the chat. Do you think it's more play calling than play design? Yes, that is a great question because that's what it comes down to with Josh McDaniels. I'm no longer. I, I, just I, hang on, just, just real quick. Like, yeah. That's what it comes down to with Josh McDaniels and a lot of these guys, the Kyle Shanahan's, the Matt LaFleur's of the world. They can design great plays. Josh McDaniels played design generally, and you might refute this here, but you know historically his entire body of work, he's an excellent play designer. It's figuring out when to call the plays and when to put what where that gets frustrating. All right, I'm good. <laughs> I, I think that there's... There's some degree to that that I agree with with the play calling and the sequencing is the word that we're looking for, right? The sequencing of the play calling. Right. But what I am more looking at big picture wise at this point goes back to that throw to Nelson Aguilar on the deep ball against against blitz against New Orleans. And Belichick actually went on. I asked Nelson Aguilar about it yesterday. I don't think he was too thrilled by the question, to be honest with you. But Belichick went on EEI the day after the game and he said it was asked, was that a a miscommunication between the quarterback and the wide receiver? And he said, yes, that Nelson Aguilar was running a route off leverage, right? So he saw it, Aguilar did, that the defender was taking up inside leverage. So he broke outside on the corner route. Mac Jones saw cover zero and he threw the ball into the vacated deep middle where the safety would be normally, but wasn't because it was a zero blitz. Right. And I look at that play and I I can't get that play out of my head because I'm thinking to myself now that Belichick has openly admitted publicly that that was a leverage based read. If that, if that route is just, is just locked. Right. And Nelson Aguilar knows he's running a corner route and Mac Jones knows he's running a corner route. Is that six, right? Is that, is that a touchdown? Because Nelson Aguilar beats his man. He gets over the top of his man and he is open behind the defense for a touchdown. But the reason why the ball didn't get there was because quarterback and receiver have to read out these leverages and they have to be exactly on the same page every single time. Right. And and if they're not on that same page every single time, then that's when the offense looks disjointed like it does now. So do I think that the Patriots, somebody else in the chat brought up a point. Do I think that a system that's worked well for 20 years is bad? No, I don't think that the system that's worked well for the last 20 years is bad. What I think is bad about it is that you need to have Tom Brady run the system. This is Tom Brady's offense, but he's not here anymore. And, and, and right. that's the problem that they're running into is that Cam Newton tried last year and failed through three games. Mac Jones has had his issues with it as well. Other people are running an offense that a quarterback who is in the system for 20 years was running. And, and that's, we can wait it out. And maybe in Mac Jones's second or third year in the league, he they find the right mix of skilled players around him, and the thing starts to click for everybody. And we can wait it out. But at the same time, it feels to me like there needs to be more innovation and there needs to be more adaptations to what the game is going to now. Because you have these leverage-based reads down the field, and – Aguilar probably has not run a ton of those types of routes. Mac Jones hasn't had to read out any of those routes because Alabama doesn't really do that, right? Their routes are pretty much locked down the field all the time. A corner is a corner, a post is a post, a go is a go. There's no middle ground here. There's no discussion. So these new players that are coming into the system, Mac Jones, Nelson Aguilar, Nikhil Harry, for that matter, and whatever receiver they were to would draft in the future or sign in the future, these guys are Jaleel Billingsley. Sure, Jaleel Billingsley. This is like Cam Newton said last year. This is calculus, right? This is a whole different thing that I don't think a lot of these guys are used to doing, and that causes a lot of, of growing pains, and that causes a lot of issues. And maybe eventually they can adapt right maybe eventually these guys can pick it up and they can adapt to it or maybe it's time to make it easier because 
you have guys like Nikhil Harry who have some talent but have really struggled with the nuances of the playbook. If he's just out there playing fast and, and playing like Nikhil Harry in college right away, then we might be having a totally different discussion this week about this matchup, right? I mean, this that we might we, Tom Brady might not even be in a different uniform if some of these guys were able to click a little bit faster with him. So I, I didn't want to get into all this. I really wanted to talk about Brady versus Belichick in terms well, of the team so stuff. Can I? Can I add one? You have to get the ad read, and then you can you can bring your last point up, but we got to talk about legends brand real quick. Alex, when I say the name William McGinnis, what word comes to mind? It's not a word, but he is the all time postseason sack record. There you go. That's a good stat. How about entrepreneur? Well, you can add that one to the list because number 55 is one of several athletes who are investors and owners in the athletic apparel brand legends. That's right. Willie, along with guys like Steve Nash, Baker Mayfield, Matt Barnes, former Celtic Marcus Morris, and even entertainment icon Quavo are just a few of the names building legends into the hottest apparel brand in the market. Visit legends.com today to shop the latest trends in athletic apparel from shorts, tees, hoodies, and more and save 20% off when you use our code PATS20. That's legends.com and promo code PATS20. Offer ends October 10th. And now, Alex, you can make your final point, and then let's talk Brady Belichick. Yeah, well, no, I think this is relevant this week because, again, we talk about, you know, how are they going to innovate the offense? This is kind of, you know, as crazy as it sounds, this is the perfect week to do it. This is a great time to have this conversation because we're out of September. We're out of that preseason mode. It's a premium opponent. It's a primetime game, like, We've been discussing these concepts for week, it's weeks, and it kind of feels like it's now or never. Don't start, you know, don't start opening up the whole playbook against Houston. Right. You should beat them with, you should beat Houston with the Mickey Mouse offense. So what I will say, though, to go back to that question, because it's a good question. And, and you know, I, when I talk with friends about this stuff, I get asked, it's like, how is a system that succeeded for 20 years suddenly not working? And part of it, you're right, you know, Tom Brady was a big Tom Brady wasn't a system quarterback. The system is a, you know, it's a, it's a quarterback reliant system. It's the opposite. But what I would say is it, you know, to say, oh, a system that worked for the last 20 years. Well, it wasn't the same system. It evolved and adapted as the personnel changed and as the league changed and trends around the league changed and there were new rules put into effect, rules taken out, et cetera. So the point is, well, things have changed again. And the system needs to once again adapt. It wouldn't be the first time they've done it. It would. It might be the biggest change they've made, but, you know, they weren't, although it's the same overarching system, it's not like they were running the same thing with David Patton and David Givens and they had Heath Evans out or, or Mark Edwards out there as a fullback, right? That wasn't the same blueprint as it was when you had Rob Gronkowski and Randy Moss and Julian Edelman and Dante Stallworth, right? Like, right. Cause they, they did do it, this once before in the, in the 2010, I want to say 2010 or 2011. I, I think it was 09, 10, somewhere in that range. Sorry. I got, I got to get the, the dates right. But Belichick and Josh McDaniels had a meeting of the minds in the off season for a couple of days with Chip Kelly. And that is when they built the 11 offense, right? The Gronk Hernandez right. offense, the spread and pace and, and quick tempo. That's when that offense, it had a lot of Chip Kelly innovations to it. So they adapted that scheme once before, but now what they're doing is just, it's bland. It is a vanilla system that they're running now. And I, I say that because it's it's lacking a, a lot of the new age type, you know, spread pace motion air raid concepts in the deep part of the field just so many of the things that, and that even that doesn't even include option routes right i mean it just so many right. of these things that these college no college team in the entire fbs besides ohio state runs a couple of option series in their in their slot route tree guys in the slot are, are running some sort of option routes inside but for the most part all of this is locked or if you if you have a go you have a go if you have a slant you have a slant if you have a dig you have a dig and there's no questions and that's what allows these offenses not only to play fast but it's also what allows a lot of these guys to just plug and play new players when they have to right when when Henry Ruggs gets drafted at Alabama, they just put Jalen Waddle in his spot and they don't miss a beat. When and that happens in other places in the FBS too with less talent, right? It just 
that allows them every three to two to three years to turn over their their skill players because it's a lot more simplified than what the Patriots are doing. We we got to get into the matchup with with Belichick and Brady though. We've been talking right. about this for twenty five minutes, but it's a really interesting discussion, and we'll continue to talk about it as we go along here and see if the Patriots do catch up with what they're doing offensively. So yeah, and I'm not even. Right, let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, Brady versus Belichick. We're not talking about this from a drama standpoint. We're talking about this from a X's and O's standpoint. And I do have a play. You got to have a play, right, Alex? We always do. But I want to discuss just the bones of this game plan because this is, I think, a really big week for Belichick, too, in the sense that if he really wants to morph this defense and really, really game plan Tom Brady, we know that he has – the knowledge of what exactly he should be doing. So I'm really curious to see because if the Patriots come out and they play middle of the field, close single high man to man, press man across the board. I don't think that they have the horses in the secondary to cover Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. If it's not Gronk, Cam Brate, and all these weapons, Tyler Johnson that Tampa Bay has four quarters man to man. I just don't think that they have that. Yeah, I, I mean, who does, right? Right. You look at, at the Bucks last week, they barely got by. They got the two best defensive players in the league. So, this, you know, I, I, I thought it went under-talked about at the time when they put Gilmore on PUP instead of IR this game and the Cowboys game. Like, they, they, maybe they could get by with that if they had Gilmore. Right. I, I think if they had Gilmore, they could. And, you know, I, I, I like the J.C. Jackson-Mike Evans matchup, so I don't think that that one – is necessarily something that they have to worry about as much. But the middle of the field is where we know Tom Brady loves to live, and we know that they have good players in the middle of the field, whether it's the tight ends or Godwin. And sometimes Antonio Brown, too, coming out of the slot as well. He moves around the formation a whole lot as he has his entire career, but he's somebody that can run routes inside, too. So we know Brady is going to want to be in the middle of the field, and we know that the the – the game plan against Brady or the book on Brady has always been get home with a four man pass rush and play seven guys in the back end with the safeties closing the middle of the field. That that's always been the strategy dating back to Rex Ryan's strategy against Tom Brady all those years ago when he was with the jets or sometimes Baltimore's run system, uh, you know, things like that as well. The, the, The thing that you have to do with Brady, I think that's the most important thing, is you have to realize that the he's not going anywhere. He is going to be in the pocket, right? And this is not a week, in my mind, where edge presence matters at all. I, I don't think that Matthew Judon coming off the edge is going to affect Tom Brady one bit. So this is the type of game plan in my mind where you need to put all of your best pass rushers and actually rush Brady inside out. All the best pass rushers, Judon, Christian Barmore, if Josh Uche plays in this game, Uche, all those guys should be rushing all game long between the guards. There is absolutely no reason to put them outside the tackles. That starts it on that level. And then obviously we can get into the second and third level of the defense and how they can cover up all these weapons that the bucks have. But to me, it completely starts with inside out pass rush and putting guys like Judon. If Dante Hightower can tap into old Dante Hightower, that would be great for one game. Josh Uche, if he's healthy, those guys need to be in the middle of the defense, rushing the quarterback right into Tom Brady's lap because he'll just, He'll get the ball out and he'll drop three-step drops and throw it 60 yards down the field. And, and those edge rushers are just going to be non-factors if you're just trying to get around the tackles to Tom Brady. But I, I think you also need to be careful because if you're rushing, you can't rush up the middle then vacate the middle of the field. Because like you said, he'll just three-step drop and boom, right over the middle. And they're probably getting an upgraded slot receiver this week. Because I would think what they're going to do with Scotty Miller out is play Antonio Brown in the slot. So. 
you know, you can't just you can't blitz everybody from the middle and let Antonio Brown go sit down in the middle of the field and break. Oh, no, you're not blitzing. You're you're rushing four. Right. And and what you're you're not blitzing. But I think what you have to look at with this game plan, what I was taught, you know, kind of getting at was Brady edge rush does not affect Tom Brady. And this running game that the Bucks have is th- their go-to play in the run game is duo, right? Those double teams inside, and they run it right downhill. And they got Leonard Fournette, who's a power back, and then they have Rojo, who's an explosive north-south running back. Neither one of these guys in the backfield nor Brady are getting on the edge or turning the corner. It's not going to happen. That's not going to be where they're going to win this game is out in the flats. They are going to win this game in the middle of the field. And the Patriots have to be ready for that. And I'm really fascinated to see how how much game planning does, because this could, in my mind, be like a Super Bowl game plan almost for Belichick, right? Where he comes out and he does something totally unique to Tom Brady to go out there and beat Brady. Or we could just see their typical brand of defense that we've seen in the first three weeks of the season and Brady will pick them apart because they'll know exactly what's coming. If they play their basic stuff, then he's going to know exactly what's coming, and that's going to be a long night. So if they're going to keep this game close defensively, they are going to have to game plan specific for the quarterback that they're going up against. I think you you have to force them. You can't you can't give up big plays. And I know that's like no duh, but the thing about Tampa's offense, and this is the, one of the few fingerprints left for Bruce Arians before Tom Brady locked him in a closet, is that they they take risks. They do take some risks yeah. and they do need a little bit of a margin for error if they want to operate the way they want to operate. So, you know, they're they're averaging 12 drives a game right now, which is third in the league, third most in the league. That number needs to be like seven or eight on Sunday. You need to and this is this is, by the way, most upsets are based on this, but especially when you have a great offense on one side, you know, the fewer chances they have the less margin of error they have on offense. So you need to force them and you know, it's kind of like the ultimate then don't break, but you need to force them into, if you can, obviously you want to get them off the field, but six, seven, eight minute drives where they're, they're, they're slowly moving the ball down the field. Like that's what you want. The Patriots want to shorten this game as much as possible. And look, it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done because again, the, the two ways the Bucs can extend this game, hitting on big plays, which we know they can do, and forcing turnovers, which the Patriots have had some trouble with this year, holding onto the football. But right. that's what it comes you know, if you're getting aggressive, they're just going to beat you over the top. And there goes the short game. They're going to possess the ball 12, 13, 14, 15 times. And I know you're going to come back at me and say, well, the Rams gave him 13 drives last week and won. The Patriots can't play like the Rams played last week. They don't have Aaron Donald. They don't have Jalen Ramsey. This is how they have to play. They they need a, to to. It's not even about winning the time of possession. They just need a lesson for both sides. Lessen the total number of possessions in the game because the Patriots' offense, it's not as good as Tampa. But one thing I one thing I think they have over Tampa, and this can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how things go. Their offense is a lot less volatile, right? It pretty much is what it is. There's not going to be major swings one way or the other. So whether they get eight drives, 10 drives, 12 drives, they're more or less going to be able to do what they're going to do. That's not going to change much. It does change things for Tampa. So that's a little potential advantage the Patriots have that if they can exploit that, that's where the difference is going to come from. And by by the way, for people who think this is nonsense, I said the exact same thing last year before the Baltimore game. That if the Patriots are going to win that game, that's what they needed to do. That's how you beat, when you're a lesser team, a high-powered offense. It's not necessarily about keeping that offense off the field. It's limiting the number of chances they have. So I think what the Rams did last week that the Patriots can emulate and, and probably will try to emulate is they forced Tom Brady to throw the ball underneath the defense. Sure. And yeah, they, there's some their, things they could take from that game plan. I'm not saying yeah. they have to completely ignore it. So they dink and dunk their way down the field. Brady averaged 6.8 air yards per attempt against the Rams yesterday or on uh, last week on Sunday, which was his second lowest of his Bucks career behind yeah. only the week two game in 2020 
against Carolina, which was his second game in Tampa Bay. Right. So he and Bruce Arians was still dictating the offense. So it's well, since he's taken over the Bucks offense, Brady is six in air yards in the entire NFL. He has the most deep completions in the entire NFL. So there is a lot of no risk it, no biscuit still in this offense. That's the Bruce Arians mantra. That's his philosophy. Right. No risk it, no biscuit. There is a, still a ton of that in this offense in uh, with Bruce Arians, but with Brady running it, it's a smarter offense in terms of taking care of the football and knowing when the shots are there versus knowing when they're not. And that's why, you know, Jameis Winston throws 30 interceptions in this offense and Brady throws three, right? Because <laughs> right. he has that ability to to understand when and to take it and when not to take it. Now, Brady threw for 432 yards against the Rams last week. And when you look at that number, you sit there and you say, Yeesh, that's a big number, right? That That is a number that you don't win a lot of football games and you give up that type of yardage. But he had to take 55 attempts to get to 432. So the Rams were able to take the big plays away from this Bucks offense and force Brady to dink and dunk his way down the field. And that is what ultimately held them down to the 24 points. And that's a strategy that you have to come out with if you're the Patriots. You have to force Brady as much as you possibly can to avoid the deep throws. He was two for six on throws of 20 plus yards against the Rams. The Patriots need to do something similar where he has to be able to, they have to be able to take away the big plays because that's this Bucks offense is still a YOLO offense, right? They're, they're still right. trying to throw the football down the field a ton. And if they can limit that, then they're going to force this Tampa offense into a efficient game instead of a game that is just getting it all in one play. And that's really a key here this week. So I want to pull up the uh, the play now because this to me is the perfect this is the perfect defense against Tom Brady that the Rams are going to play here. And I think the Patriots can emulate this. Now they don't have Aaron Donald and they don't have Jalen Ramsey. I agree with you there, but this from a scheme standpoint is stuff that the Patriots have done in the past. And I don't think it's anything too out of the box that they can't accomplish. So what the Rams are going to play is a coverage called cover seven and cover seven is a two deep structure. So you're going to have these two safeties deep here but instead of having them play half field responsibility or quarter responsibility, like in a cover four or a cover two, they're going to use these deep safeties to bracket the inside receivers. So they're going to have this safety here. He's going to bracket the tight end. The tight end is going to run a crosser and he's going to cut it off. This deep safety here and this corner there are going to bracket. This is Chris Godwin in the middle of the field. They're going to bracket Chris Godwin. So they have two brackets on the inside receivers. And the idea of this is that they know that Brady is going to read this concept inside out. That's how Brady is going to operate always. So they're going to take away the middle of the field and they're going to force Brady off his first reads and get him into those second reads on the outside on the perimeter. The other thing that the Rams do here is this is going to be a four-man rush, and they're going to run a T&E game here on the outside, a tackle end game, and they're going to just stunt these guys up the middle, and they're going to be able to get to Brady with a four-man rush by scheming it up. So let's roll the play a little bit here, and you're going to see what these safeties do, and, and this is really what's so key about this game plan. So here comes this safety coming down to cut off Cam Braid's crossing route, and then you see the bracket here, on Godwin and it just forces Brady to hold the football for that extra beat because those are his first reads. Now Mike Evans is actually going to come open underneath the defense, but by the time Brady gets off of Godwin and Brady, it's too late. So you have these safeties at the top of the field. And the other thing I would say really quickly about the two deep structure to start with is it's not always going to work, but when you get too deep as a quarterback, typically the tendency is to check into a running play. 
And anytime you can get Tom Brady to check into a running play, that's a win for the defense. So if you show him these two high structures, you put only six guys in the box, maybe you do get him to check into a few runs against these looks and you're taking the ball out of his hands at this point. I don't think that Brady will take the cheese like Peyton Manning did in that 2013 game, but it's a similar idea. And Peyton ended up handing the ball off to Noshawn Moreno something like 40 times. Noshawn ran for 250 yards against the Patriots, but at least it wasn't Peyton Manning beating them over the top of the defense. So there's a win there. So let's roll it again. You're going to see these safeties cut off these routes in the middle of the field, and then you're going to see Brady take the hit in the pocket and have to throw the ball away in the flat. Now, this is a perfect rep, right? You're not going to be able to replicate this every single time, but I think this is exactly what you have to do. And this is what they do here in the front. So here's Aaron Donald. The Patriots don't have Aaron Donald. I get it. But you have the stunts here with Donald and the linebacker on the outside. Think about it as whoever the Patriots want to put here, Judon and Christian Barmore, Uche and, and uh, Devon Godshaw or Wise or whatever. And they get that stunt and they're able to get the hit on Brady in the pocket with a four man rush. So, taking those safeties in the deep part of the field, using the stunt game to get the twist up front and get pressure on Brady with four. That's the game plan. That's the game plan right there. And the Rams did a really nice job of it last week. And I do think that the Patriots can take some of the things that the Rams did from last week and use those this week. And cover seven is something the Patriots have dialed up a ton, especially against some of the better quarterbacks like Mahomes. So I I fully expect them to see a lot of that uh, tomorrow night or Sunday night and, and not a whole, not a ton. I'm sure they'll sprinkle it in, but not as much of the man coverage as we typically see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, again, you know, it's one thing to do with Aaron Donald. This is a huge game for Christian Barmore because he should be the one in that role. And if if he's not like, he's been their best pass rusher at this point. If he's not getting home, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that to a degree it's, Aaron Donald, like, yeah, but that's a schemed rush, right? That's not just Donald beating his guy one-on-one on a four-man rush. They're able to use the stunt. The Patriots are pretty effective at doing that kind of stuff. So I don't know if it necessarily matters that it's it's not Aaron Donald this time around, or this week, as much as it would if the Rams went into this game and just rushed for one-on-one across the board and tried to get Donald a one-on-one and he was just whooping the guards uh, of the Bucks. So I think there is reason to believe that that strategy will work just a little bit. Um, the other thing that I wanted to hit on here on the defensive side of the ball is the matchups in the secondary because we know that eventually they're going to play some man-to-man. It's the Patriots. They're not going to play the whole game in match zones. They're eventually going to play some man-to-man. The matchups that I think are obvious, and the one thing that I wanted to to point out with that specific play as well, is you're going to get a lot of J.C. Jackson in single coverage against Mike Evans. And that's just a matchup that you're going to have to live with the results. And you're going to have to hope that your best cover guy against one of their best receivers can hold up because you can't give help to Jackson over the top. It, you have to take away the middle of the field with the safeties. It's going to be really difficult to take uh, to give help to Jackson on Mike Evans on the perimeter. So Jackson's going to have to earn his money. But how do we think that they are going to match up the rest of the secondary? Because I think it's pretty obvious that Jackson's going to get Mike Evans. Yeah, I mean, they, they really have two options. It's you put, uh, you, you put uh, what I think they should do you put Jalen, and it's not the best option, but you put Jalen Mills on the outside against Chris Godwin with Devin McCourty over the top and then John Jones on Antonio Brown in the slot. The other thing they could do is put Juwan Williams on the outside with help against Godwin, and then you put Jalen Mills in the slot. Again, I, those are really the two main options. I don't love either of them. I'd go with the first one because I think John Jones can can take down Antonio Brown, uh, you know, for the most part. Now that, you know, it gets scary because all right, Jalen Mills, you're going to make them beat you with Chris Godwin. You're going to make them beat you with the top five receiver in the league uh, against a guy who's playing out of position in Jalen Mills. I fully expect the Patriots to bracket Chris Godwin. I, I think that he's the guy that you have to take out of this game because he runs the bread and butter Brady routes. 
right? He's the he's the receiver. It's not it's definitely adapted to Chris Godwin's strengths, but he runs a lot of the same style of routes in the same areas of the field that Julian Edelman used to run with Brady. And that's the type of player that Brady is going to rely upon to move the chains and attack the underneath part of the coverage. So I actually think the most important receiver in this game is Chris Godwin. And my expectation is that they are going to bracket him all game long, and he's going to have two guys, one inside of him, one outside of him for four straight quarters, and he's going to have to find ways to get open against double coverage. With A.B., that's the biggest X factor to me. I think Jonathan Jones is up for it, but Mike Evans against J.C. Jackson I feel like is going to be a really good heavyweight bout. But the one player that I find a could possibly really rear its ugly head for the Patriots this weekend is AB because as good as Jonathan Jones is Jones is going to have to take Antonio Brown on an Island a lot. And and that's going to be a matchup that we know Brady is going to attack as well. But Godwin is a hundred percent, the guy that I feel like they're going to try to take out of the game. And if they have to put Jalen Mills on him in the slot, that's a little bit more comfortable for Jalen Mills in general. But I would also just mention that if he does play inside, they're going to have the ability to bracket him a lot easier. So even though Jalen Mills might be the primary guy in coverage a whole lot, I think that it could be a lot of help his way. So he's not going to be alone on Chris Godwin. I hope not, at least not a ton. I I just, I, you know, the, and then there's Rob Gronkowski, right? Who we haven't even talked about. Or Cameron Brait, who, by the way, is an underrated player. You know, yeah. I, I think Cameron Brait would be the number one tight end on a handful of teams in the NFL. So it's just... Again, you're not going to stop him. You just got to figure out how to slow him down because you're not going to stop him. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know if this is I, – I haven't, like, had anything confirmed about this or not, but I, I know that Gronk is – I would describe Gronk as very uncertain for this game with with his injury. Uh, rib injury, didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday. I think there's a good chance that – Bruce Arians allows Gronk to suit up in this game and maybe they have him in the red zone package just so he can get out there against Belichick and his former team. Cause you know, this game means a ton to Gronk, right. To go out there right. and, and maybe he can play in the red zone and they're able to get him a target or two in the end zone to try to get him a touchdown so that he can have his moment against the Patriots. And I think that's really important to Gronkowski. And I think that's really important to Bruce Arians to do that for Gronk. But if this was a normal game, if this wasn't the homecoming, if this was just Tampa uh, playing the Rams like they did last week, then I don't think that Rob Gronkowski is going to play in this game. But here's the other thing you have to remember. And, and this is where, I mean, you're right. They're going to trip. Brady's going to try to make something happen with Gronk. He wants that moment. The Patriots need to figure out a way. At some point in this game, somebody's going to make an emotional mistake, whether it's Belichick, whether it's Brady. And you just got to try it. Both sides going to try to be one step ahead of that. Like if yeah. you can catch Brady locking in on Rob Grunt, like you need the Patriots need a couple mistakes to go their way. If they can catch Brady locking in on Rob Gronkowski, whether it's in the red zone, whether it's for the passing record, you like, you got to take advantage of that. Yeah. It, I definitely could see Brady maybe locking on Gronk in the red zone to try to get a, a touchdown connection between those two guys, right? I don't know about the passing record. I think that might actually just happen organically, and whoever gets it gets it. Like Tyler Johnson could catch the the passing record for all Brady cares. I don't really think that he's going to zero in on one guy to make sure that he passes the pass. If he's going to really stick it to the Patriots, though, it kind of feels like Antonio Brown catching that pass is yeah, a little bit right. worse than Gronk in a way. But regardless, I, I don't know if he necessarily cares all that much about that, but I do think that he will – uh, they will try to get Gronk involved in the red zone, even if he's not 100%. He played, you know, 10 snaps, right, and play them all in the red area and try to get him in the end zone. But again, I, I come back to the, everything that just reading the tea leaves down in Tampa Bay based off the practice participation, but also just everything that you're hearing is that they're going to get a very limited Gronk if he does actually suit up in this game. And the fact that he took that hit got the rib injury and then came back in that game against the Rams was kind of unbelievable. So I, I don't think that there's, um, 
I, I think we're going to see very little of Gronkowski, even if he does play on Sunday night. Yeah, I, I I I think he play. I think he's in uniform. We'll see if he plays. I think he's in uniform. If he plays, it'll be very sparingly. Because yeah. at the end of the the real real way Brady sticks it to Bill is going back to back. They need Rob Gronkowski to do that. As, yeah. as important as this game is, they're not going to lose Gronk for the season just to make a point on Sunday. Yeah, and he, there's no comparison, obviously, from a a, a matchup standpoint for the past in the past with the Brady Belichick era with the Patriots, I, I guess maybe a game against Peyton Manning. I mean, the stakes are no, it's nowhere near the same, but trying to think of a regular season game that would have a ton of stakes, right? That would, that'd be very high stakes. If they're this playing one, this game realistically doesn't have any stakes. Like, yes, like, I know what you're saying. Like, come on, you know, all those games against the Colts, the Ravens, the Broncos, this game means nothing. It's a two and one team. It's defending Super Bowl champions against a one and two team with a rookie quarterback. Like, I, I know that there's stakes in that sense, but come on. Brady's not dumb enough to, to risk his best. And I know they have Chris Godwin. I know they have to, uh, Antonio Brown. Brady's not dumb enough to risk his best playmaker to prove a point he already made back in February. He's just not. There's no stakes in this game. The Bucs are a better team. They should win the game even without Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, and that was well, the point that I was bringing up is that if this was the Patriots and Brady and Gronk were here, and Gronk had this. There's no way that Gronk would play on in this game on Sunday night. I, I whether it was right. against Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers or whoever, there would, he would be sitting. Patrick Mahomes, they would sit him down because, like you said, they would play the long game with this. Bruce Arians, I don't know if he's that smart. <laughs> I got to be not. honest. He's not. He's a bad coach. They've played their best football since Tom Brady told him to go pound sand last year in the bye week. Yeah. He's never been a good coach. He's not a good coach. They're winning games in spite of him, not because of him. If okay. anything, I'll credit Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles. Like, Todd Bowles done a great job. Bray, I don't think Brady's or- orchestrating the defense. Yeah. Get out of here. We, we need to stop giving Bruce Arians, side rant, but we need to stop giving Bruce Arians so much credit for what's happening right now. He has nothing to do with it. He did everything to hold Tom Brady back through the start of that season. He wanted halftime in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady as his quarterback and a chance to run the two-minute drill. That's the one thing I bet that's, you know, I kind of come to terms with all this and Sunday's going to be what it's going to be. And I'd rather be over with, but we better not be giving any flowers to Bruce freaking Arians for the job he's done because they've done all this in spite of him. Uh, Alex has been on against Bruce Arians for very, since Brady got there. And I've been, I've been against him long before Brady got there. And like I was about Josh McDaniels, I'm right about this one. Let's talk about uh, that Bucks defense really quickly for the next 10 minutes before we sign up here, uh, sign off here, I should say. Um, first and foremost, the, the strategy against Mac Jones has been to blitz him. Todd Bowles loves to blitz. It's a tough front to block. There's a lot of reason to believe that Mac Jones is going to be under a lot of pressure in this game again. Now, Matthew Stafford did a great job of getting the ball out last week. They went a ton of empty. Uh, he was 12 for 16 and empty, got the ball out quickly, 140 passer rating in those empty formations. I think that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it would obviously be some max protect, uh, maybe bring uh, leaving the tight end or uh, having uh, Jakob Johnson or Brandon Bolden just stand in the backfield as essentially a personal protector for Mac Jones, you know, something like that as well is is an option for the Patriots. I would rather them go empty and try to stress the secondary because that secondary is vulnerable. But I came by, I come back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show before we went into that whole deep dive about the Patriots' offense and system. I, this game scares me from that perspective. I, I just I think Bill Belichick is going to hold Tom Brady to a reasonable output on that side of the football. I don't think this is going to be a 50-burger type of game, but – is Mac Jones going to be able to keep pace? Do the Patriots have the wherewithal to put him in a position to keep pace? What What are the Patriots going to do here to hold, uh, you know, to block Todd Bowles' front, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, what are they going to do or what are they going to do? Because Or what are they going to do or what should they do? Because right. I think the, it's, it's we. It, I'm almost right back where I was for the Saints game last week, right? Where it yeah. was, if you run the ball against the Saints – like you can't run the ball against the saints and they tried to early. I know they eventually gave up on it, but they tried to run the ball against saints early, which made no sense. Uh, you know, you can't do that and you can't be trying to take deep shots on him. You need to go and shotgun four or five wide boom, quick passes, hurry up offense. The one time they did it, they marched right down the field and then they never went back to it. They need to spread this offense out, 
quick slants, under routes, bring back the pop pass, please. Either whether it's John o. Smith, whether it's Nelson Aguilar, bring back the pop pass this week. We should see it this week. And that's what they got to do and get the tight ends involved. The Bucs have not been able to cover tight ends this year. I can't imagine Richard Sherman's going to play in this game. Like I just, he it said it earlier in the week that he is likely to play, but I actually hope he does play. Cause I think he's, I thought he was washed the last time we saw him in San Francisco. It's See, been, even... I think I, he was washed as like a, a top corner. I think they brought him in to be a tight end stopper, which is probably what he can be at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I, he even said though, like he's still learning the playbook. He doesn't think he's going to play anyway, but you know, they've been bad against tight ends. You got to get John Smith. You got to get Hunter Henry involved heavily. I wrote this in my key matchups on 985thesportsup.com. If there were ever a week to jumpstart these guys to say, we are going to ride or die with the tight ends. We are going to completely base our game plan around them. And we will go as they fail. If they play like they should play, we'll be fine. We'll be competitive. If they suck, we're going to lose the game. But we are going to put it in their hands. If there was ever a week to do that, this is that game. This is the game where you throw to those guys a combined 25, 30 times. Because they're going to have to throw the ball 50 times in this game. You throw to those guys combined 20 times and just just let them win you the game. I know, and people have said back to me, oh, well, John Smith sucks. Did you not see what he did last week? He had a bad game. Players have bad games. It happens. If you're going to bail on a guy, you just gave, what, they gave him $50 million? If you're going to bail on a guy, you gave $50 million because he played one bad game three weeks in, then you don't know what the hell you're doing. That's poor asset management. If he sucks, he sucks. He might suck. It's way too early to be definitive about that. Yeah, I'm not saying... I'm not saying quick passes to Hunter Henry and John Smith. That needs to be 50, 60% of the game plan. I mean, it should be 50, 60% of the game plan every week. Not just know, but this is, this is it. Like if, yeah. if they don't do it now, I'm convinced they're never doing it. And they wasted that money. And those were bad signings because I yeah. think those guys are good players. I like John Smith can play. I know he had a bad game last week. I don't care. I saw four years worth in Tennessee. That's yeah. more valuable than one game. They got to use him right. They've been using him right. They got to use him right. But he can play if they don't do it. And, and here's the most annoying thing. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to come out with the same game plan they've had. And the next week against Tennessee, they're going to use or next week against Houston where they don't need them. They're going to use the tight ends, but it needs to be like, you're sinking or swimming with the tight ends this week. That should be the game plan. If they suck again, they suck again. You lose the game. So be it. You, you need a ride or die with them this week. Yeah, I don't want to see any screens for the tight ends. You want Levante David and Devin White are screamers around the field. Well, Those guys here's the thing. If they're, no, if they put John Smith in the backfield and go with that 0-2 and run like a traditional running back screen to him, like that sort of thing's going to work because you no, screw up not. the pass rush. You don't think so? No. I think Levante David and Devin White are – so freaking fast that those guys will be all over the screens. You need to attack the weak points in this defense, which is clearly their cornerback group, right? That's why they they signed Richard Sherman. So I, I want the ball outside. They need to get away from those guys in the middle because the, the strength of this defense is right in the middle of the field. And this game plan reminds me, remember, uh, this was going a ways back. I think it was 04 or 05. They're playing the Minnesota Vikings, and at the time, the Vikings had the Williams brothers at uh, DT, right? The Both those guys were at defensive tackles, and they were both at the top of their game at the time. And they threw the football something like 60 times in that game. And Corey Dillon infamously had a blow-up with Bill Belichick on the team playing back to Foxborough after that game because they didn't give Corey Dillon the ball pretty much the entire game because the game plan was to stay away from the Williams brothers, right? They just knew that they weren't going to be able to run the football that game inside the tackles, so they tried to stay away from those guys. Vita Van and Dominican Sue are the Williams brothers. Right. And Navante David and Devin White are, are right behind them in that category as well. This is not a game you want to run the football. This is not a game you want to throw on the linebackers. They have fantastic coverage players at the second level of their defense. The weaknesses in their defense are out wide. So if you're going to run a screen, it should be some sort of a screen out wide to Nelson Aguilar. If you want to line Johnny Smith up there as an outside receiver and throw him a screen on the perimeter, then so be it. But they have to throw the football at the secondary. They can't allow these linebackers to take over the game because they will. And they are really, really good players. So that's where I would start. I would also look at uh, quickly before we wrap this up, the 
running back room and, and the backfield in general. No James White in this game. What's the play for the Patriots? To, is it if they put Brandon Bolden in this game against Devin White and Levante David, then they're then they're screwed. I'm not going to swear because we have sponsors, but I want to swear and, and and say they're effed if they put Brandon Bolden in the game and try to have him beat Levante David and Devin White in coverage. I would say, you know, you know, you think you think JJ Taylor because he's been better as a pass catcher, but I don't, you know, against those linebackers, he's not going to be able to block those guys. He's not a good enough pass blocker yet. He's just not. So, Damian, I, like on one hand, Damian Harris should play seventy percent of the snaps because he was actually a pretty yeah. good pass protector at Alabama. They haven't used him a ton in that role here, but I feel most comfortable in, in terms of pass blocking. From the ba- and that's what you lose the most with James White. Like you lose a ton, ton with James White, but the thing that nobody realizes is how good of a pass blocker James White is. Yeah, so, I feel the best with Damian Harris. Does he? They really miss Rex Burkhead in this game. They really, really miss Rex Burkhead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel the best with Damian Harris back there, but I almost, you know, I almost feel like O2 personnel is the way to go. And Jonu Smith essentially they won't do it back. I know I they won't do it, but doesn't that feel like the best option? That, I mean, I've been on that train all week. I That's what they should do moving forward. Their five best receivers on their team are Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, and Johnny Smith. So when they get into obvious passing situations, when it's third and eight, there is absolutely zero reason for Brandon Bolden to be on the field on third and eight. Zero. They should be running three wide receiver too tight end. If you want to go empty, go empty and just and get everybody out of there and don't put Johnu in the backfield. If you want to put Johnu in the backfield, then I think that's a really nice option too. And I think that's an, a unique wrinkle that they could throw at this and actually do something that Tampa Bay might not be 100% prepared for. They've only had Johnu Smith line up in the backfield once the entire season. He did it 19 times with the Titans last year. So he has experience doing it. And I feel like that is your your best five, right? That group is your best five. Now, the problem is, is that their best five on the offensive line is Ted Karras being at guard and Mike Onwenu being at right tackle. And they haven't done that either, right? So they haven't been operating on a best five basis a whole ton this season offensively. While they forced it last year. They went out of their way to do best five last year. Yeah, so frustrating. So the pass catchers need to be the best five guys need to be out there, and that doesn't include any of the backs, to be honest with you. So I think that that's a really great option and wrinkle. If you don't want to unlock an RPO package, if you don't want to get too crazy with it in the early part of the season, I don't think that that's that crazy. To, to run that group out there. That's that's more of a, a conventional crazy than a, a, something that's like completely new to the Patriots. Well, it's funny. Like if we're going to talk about, you know, I a couple times compared this game to like, you know, how college football upsets play out. And oh, I can't remember who it was, but Texas Tech played somebody during the Graham Harrell era. And they they basically didn't play a running back the entire game. Yeah. They just didn't put running backs on the field. And, and you know they've they done won. this before. And they won. Like, it was like a big upset, and they won. And I can't remember who they played, but, like, it's not – we know Bill will go back to random moments in football history and, like, just pull something out. So what you're – that's that's why what you're saying is so intriguing to me because it's been done in the last 20 years. Granted, yeah. the context is pretty different. Oh, I started to sound like Tom Brady. Uh, the context is pretty different, but – the, the, if Bill can find it or if Evan Rothstein can find it or whoever, like if they're digging on YouTube for highlights or whatever it is, the tape does exist. It, the tape exists in New England because they did this with Aaron Hernandez, right? Aaron Hernandez. No, no, no. I'm saying like the entire game, just there's no running back in the game plan. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think they did that the entire game. And I have to go back and, and look and see if PFF goes that far back. But there were definitely games back in the 2011 season uh, and where Aaron Hernandez was playing a ton of reps at running back a ton. I mean, he was, he was taking handoffs. So I, I, it's not something that the Patriots and Josh McDaniels have never done before. So if they have that wrinkle in the, in the playbook, uh, that's the wrinkle to play this, this game, I, I think is having O2 personnel, Johnny Smith as sort of that uh, backfield presence, if you will, Alex, the Patriots make this a game. Yes or no. 
I think they can. I don't know if they will. The, the, the path is there. It's, you know, there was a path there last week. There was a path there against the Dolphins. They haven't, they, they're still in that preseason mode. So uh, it is October now. I, you know, sometimes they say the first month. Does the first month mean September? Does the first month mean the first four weeks of the season? We're kind of in between. The path is there. We'll see if they follow it. The path is there. So really quickly, back in 2011, Aaron Hernandez played 77 snaps in the backfield in that season. Okay. In the divisional round in 2011, he played 23 snaps out of the backfield. So they basically made him a running back in that divisional round playoff game. So this is definitely something that they've done before. Do I think the Patriots make this a game? I think it is a game early. I think it's competitive for a while, but I think the Bucks ultimately win this by, I don't know, 10 points, you know, 30, 34, 24 type of score reverse of what was last week with the Rams. But the Patriots, I think, are going to be ready to play this game. I just think ultimately they're going to be overwhelmed by talent on the on the offensive side of the ball uh, for Tampa Bay and not be able to keep pace with Mac Jones. But I think this will be a game that we will come away with some positives. I do think that I think that you're going to see some wrinkles. I think you're going to see some new stuff that we haven't seen in the first three weeks of the season. And I think that they're going to see some things. Uh, they're they're going to do some things that are going to give us some hope of maybe what they can do as the season wears on and they're not playing the defending Super Bowl champions. So Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Tuesday to break down this game between the Bucks and the Patriots. We're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the other discussions about the big picture stuff as well on Tuesday. We got into that a little bit at the beginning of today's show, and we'll definitely preview uh, or uh, recap uh, what happens out there on Sunday night against Tampa Bay. So until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and enjoy the game on Sunday night.